Here I stand, a dying man, preaching to dying men, women, boys, and girls. Let's open our Bibles to Exodus chapter 20 as we continue our sermon series in the Ten Commandments. When Austin asked me what he would like me to preach, what he would like me to have him preach on while I'm gone, I said, do what you want, and I'll find out when everybody else does. So, uh, come back next week and find out what Austin decided to preach on for the next couple of weeks. We are uh, on the seventh commandment this morning, you shall not commit adultery, from Exodus chapter 20, as we always do, or as we have, I'll, pre- I'll read from verses 1 and 2 from Exodus 20 as well, and I invite you, if you're able, please, to stand for the reading of God's holy word, then I'll pray, and I'll invite you to be seated. Exodus 20, starting in verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Verse 14, you shall not commit adultery. Amen. This is God's holy and inspired word, and he's given it to us, that we might know him, love him, and learn how to live in light of his love for us. Let me pray, and I'll invite you to be seated. Great is your mercy, O Lord. Give us life according to your rules and according to your steadfast love. Every one of your righteous rules endures forever. So may we delight. Delight in your rules. Delight in your law and meditate on them. And be like the man who is planted by streams of living water. Yes, even the living waters of Christ himself. Holy Spirit, open our eyes that we might see our hearts and our ears. But don't stop there. Open our hands that we might serve and love. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, it didn't take long after the fall for the sixth commandment to be broken. And it, it, it didn't take long after the fall for the seventh commandment to be broken. If I asked you what was the first murder in, in the Bible, like a, you know, Bible trivia pop quiz, what chapter was that? Genesis 4. A similar pop quiz, where, where was the first case of adultery in Genesis? Hmm, that's what I thought. Genesis 4. Lamech took two wives. See, it didn't take long for Cain to dishonor his father and his mother, the the fifth commandment. Didn't take long for him to kill his brother, the sixth commandment. And then the, the next significant story in Genesis 4 is Lamech, who took two wives and was also a murderer. He was a pretty bad dude. About two thirds of Genesis 4 is about Cain and Abel, and about one third is about Lamech. Broadly speaking, the application of the seventh commandment is about the act of becoming one flesh with the opposite member of the sex that you are and engaging in that relationship exclusively for the rest of your life. And I'm trying to measure my words carefully. We've got lots of covenant kids. I think you all are tracking with me and you will for the rest of the sermon as well. But adultery is, narrowly speaking, about husband and wife doing what husband and wives do exclusively. 
And that one flesh relationship is seen in the wedding and the vows that we take as husband and wives, but it is also seen, this one flesh relationship is seen in the consummation of the wedding and those vows that we take. And in marriage, God's design is for us to fulfill the passions that He's given us. Those passions, those desires are holy, they are good, they are right, they are for our, our well-being and are a gift from God. When done in the relationship that he's given to us. Anything else outside of that covenant relationship is a violation of the seventh commandment. So in other words, there are a bazillion ways to commit adultery. What causes us? Fundamentally, what causes us as human beings to break the seventh commandment? Point to the center of your chest. That is the fundamental problem that we have. It's our hearts. Adultery is first and foremost committed in the heart. And for most of us, hopefully, it is committed most frequently in the heart. For the vast majority of us, it will be committed only in the heart and won't make it out of our hearts, but it is still a grievous sin to commit adultery in our heart. Jesus says in Matthew 15, verses 19 and 20, out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. And if and if you're listening carefully, he's going down the second table of the law. Our hearts are our biggest problem. And since that is the case, we need to be careful, hear this well, we need to be careful about the quote-unquote rules that we put in place or that we try to put in place for others about how not to break the seventh commandment. Rules will be important. We'll talk about them in a minute, a few minutes. But our hearts are the problem. And so we're not primarily talking about the length of dresses or how tight a guy's arm sleeves are on his shirt or the color of shirts that we wear or anything else. That's not what we're primarily talking about with the seventh commandment. We're talking about the heart. That's the core of the issue. And so what we need to answer is are we willing, brothers and sisters in Christ, are we willing to do whatever it takes to have purity of heart, to have purity of life, and to preserve the purity of others. Those are three of our main headings. There's a fourth, a perfect union. Let's start with a perfect union. After God made man and woman, in Genesis chapter 2, we read that He brought man to the woman, and then we read in Genesis 2, 24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. This one flesh relationship, we see both parts of this one flesh relationship. The covenant relationship that God established between husband and wife, they both leave a family and make a new family and become one in family and one in relationship, but they also consummate that relationship and become one as well. 
The two are meant to go together, both of these sides. And the breaking of the seventh commandment strikes at, is, at what is most fundamental in our human-to-human relationships. It strikes at the very core of human relationships between husband and wife. And it's within the relationship of husband and wife and in that relationship alone that God designed for life to come into the world. Anything else, any other relationship, any other attempt, whether literally trying to bring life or doing the thing that brings life into the world or anything that goes along with it with somebody who's not our spouse, thoughts, attitudes, lusts, Behaviors sinful, according to God's word. The only way to rightly experience the passions that God created within us is to do it in the confines of marriage. And it's within that relationship where life comes. One man, one woman are needed to propagate humanity. Read in Genesis 1.28 that God blessed mankind and said to them, be fruitful and multiply. And then he gives us marriage to accomplish that. So part of God's plan for marriage was, was a fruitful womb and a multiplication of humanity. Now the fall has changed this in many ways. We can come at this from several different perspectives. Infertility is one of them. Miscarriages are one of them. A product of the fall. Death in the womb, product of the fall. But it has also changed the way that some husbands and some wives have approached marriage. The union between husband and wife is designed and intended by God in part to produce children. So we ought to take that very seriously. And if we just choose not to have children... We need to have a good reason why. So from an earthly perspective, this union between husband and wife is a good gift from God. From an eternal and a heavenly perspective, it is an even greater gift. And this is where we see the perfect union that Scripture points us to. Marriage was intended to point us to a greater heavenly eternal union, our union with Christ. And the mystery of marital union on earth is profound, Paul says in Ephesians 5. And he says that that union refers to Christ and the church. This mysterious union refers to Christ and the church. And that union is not only for those who are married on this side of glory. That union is for everyone who comes to the Son at the beckoning of the Father. So to those who are married, and it's not what you thought it was going to be, hold fast. Remember your vows. Christ, Christ will be your husband. And for those who have never been married, but, but really, really want to, hold fast. You'll have a really good husband. And for those who've given up on marriage for one reason or another, Hold fast. And if you are married, hold fast to your spouse. And if you're not married, hold fast until the day that your husband welcomes you into glory. 
He is the one who welcomes his people into a perfect union with him. And that, the perfect union that we have with Christ, that sweet reunion, is why marriage is such an important topic. Marriage is not a secondary issue. Marriage is not a tertiary issue. Marriage is a gospel issue. Because marriage points us to our union with Christ, we must guard the biblical doctrine of marriage. And I will stand against it, even if that means that I get less benefits as a pastor, even if that means someday someone will try to take me to jail, I pray that I will stand, even if that means I will die a martyr's death. And this is coming fast. It may not come in my lifetime, but we must stand on the biblical doctrine of marriage. It is a gospel issue. God in his grace has given some of us an earthly blessing in marriage. He's given all of his people a beautiful union with Christ in glory. I feel like a constant refrain has been much more could be said, but we need to keep moving on in the text in the Ten Commandments. So let's move on, move on to purity of heart. Purity of heart. We read from Matthew 15 earlier, out of our hearts come, paraphrase, sin. Out of our hearts come sin. And the seventh commandment is like all the other nine. It's about, it's about our hearts. Now, we can't do this text justice without going to Matthew 5. And so please turn with me to Matthew 5, if you so choose, to Jesus' words on the Sermon of the Mount. We'll start in verse 27. Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 27, says this, You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has broken the seventh commandment. We learned from two weeks ago that murder comes from anger, which comes from the heart. We learned today that adultery comes from lust, which originates in the heart. So we should know what is lust. What is lust? Well, biblically speaking, lust is the desire to engage in fleshly acts that are contrary to God's law. The New Testament summarizes this in many ways with the word sexual immorality, fleshly desires, illicit desires that are contrary to God's word and his law and his purpose for intimacy. Now, lust does not have to be accompanied by intent to be sin. Lust in and of itself is sinful. In fact, intent is likely an advancement from lust. What this means, practically speaking, is that we cannot blame anybody else for our lust. It comes from our hearts. The lust is not his fault. The lust is not her fault. It's my fault. Now, it's perfectly okay to notice the beauty of someone 
It's a gift, natural, and it's right. It's not okay to notice that beauty and then continue to look or continue to, to behold with lust, right? So this, this is where those, those rules that I talked about earlier come into play. I, th- I think it was uh, during the Puritan time frame where some of the Puritans said, trying to apply this and getting after it, said, don't look twice, right? And so what happened was people were confessing that they were just looking once longer, right? Okay, I, I won't look, I, I didn't look twice, I'm good to go, right? No, so the rules are not what we're after. It's, what, it's the heart that we're after. Now, our final heading is the preservation of others. So we're going to get to our role in preserving the chastity and the moral uprightness of others in just a few minutes. But for now, you should know that the Westminster Shorter Catechism question and answer number 71 says this, what is required in the seventh commandment? The seventh commandment requireth the preservation of our own chastity in heart, speech, and behavior. And for right now, we're focusing on the heart. We're going to get to speech and behavior next. How do you preserve your own chastity in heart? Well, to illustrate, I contend it's the same way that you preserve any kind of vegetable or food item. What are you talking about? How do you preserve those tomatoes or cucumbers that you grew in the garden? How do you make sure you can eat those in January? You carefully intentionally, with great attention, and usually with a healthy dose of pride for what you grew and now what you're preserving, you take all the effort that it takes to deliver that preserved tomato on the shelf in your basement or wherever else. It's intentional. It takes attention. It's carefully done. In other words, it doesn't just happen. If you put the tomato on the counter, eventually it's not going to be a tomato anymore. Let me tell you a time at our house where I didn't do a good job of preserving something. Taylee came home with a trunk load of meat that she'd purchased. She gave me the assignment of taking it down to the freezer. Well, along that one-minute journey, I decided that I was going to put them on the floor of the basement and go upstairs and have her organize said meat where and how she wanted in the freezer downstairs. And then I was going to tell her that that's what I did. Well, I got 90% of the way. I just forgot to tell her that that's what I did. And so the next day she goes down and sees said meat on the floor. It was, it was good that it was winter because most of the food was still frozen. You know what we did? At my call, we took the risk and we just put it all back in the freezer. About two months later, pretty sure I got salmonella from the chicken. I don't think we fed any of you this meat. (laughs) So the next time we invite you over, we'll make sure the meat's good. It's gone now. now. The lesson to be learned from that illustration is that we we can easily get make the same mistake that I made. Go 90%. Don't go all the way. Don't be as careful as we need to be. But we can't afford to be so forgetful and so unintentional with our hearts. 
Now that may include guarding your eyes like Job said he did in Job 31.1. I have made a covenant with my eyes, he says. That may include guarding your relationships. So if you perceive that you've drifted into some relationship that could cause you to stumble into lust or worse, do something about it. What does Jesus say we should do about it? He says, if our right eye causes us to sin, gouge it out. If our right hand causes us to sin, cut it off, lest we go to hell. Now, he's, he's making a point. He's, he's speaking hyperbolically. No one go cut your eye out or your hand off. He's making a point. Speaking about the woman of the city, the father in Proverbs says to the son in Proverbs 5.8, keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house. You do whatever it takes. If that means going around the block like many of us had to do to avoid the, the scary dog on the way home from school every day. It doesn't matter if it takes 15 minutes to go a different way. You go the different way. You stay away. You do all that it takes. You go after the heart. But what that tells us is there's sometimes that we go after the circumstances of our lives too. Like no phone access when no one's around. Like put the computer away. Like guard that relationship at work. And when it must change, do what needs to be done and maybe that person will never know. Get after the circumstances, but don't forget the heart. Our culture, when those flames start to burn, our culture is going to hand you lighter fluid. And when the lighter fluid's gone, they're going to give you kerosene. And when the kerosene's gone, they're going to give you gasoline. And when the gasoline's gone, they're going to give you propane. And when the propane's gone, I don't know what they're going to give you, but they're going to figure it out. They want that flame to go. Express yourself. Do what's best for you. You live your best life now. No, run. Never go back if that's what it takes. But do not fall prey to the lust of your heart. So the question of application is, how is your heart? How are you doing with this? Are you keeping your way by pure so far as it depends on you by guarding it according to God's word? Are you filling your heart and your mind with the gospel and receiving the power of Christ in his spirit to lead you to truth and sanctification in the spirit? Kick the lighter fluid away and run into the arms of your Savior who will deliver you, who has promised that he will deliver you. If you will, that will help you lead a life that is pure. That's our third major heading, purity of life. Back to Westminster Shorter Catechism question and answer 71. The seventh commandment requires the preservation of our chastity in heart, speech, and behavior. We're focusing now on speech and behavior under this heading of life. Listen to Ephesians 5, 3 through 4. Writing to the people of God, Paul writes, in the Holy Spirit, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead, let there be thanksgiving. It is not proper to live in that way, not, not among the saints, 
know what the word for saints is? It's hagios, holy ones. It's not proper to live like that when you're a holy one. It's not proper to talk like that when you're a holy one. You know what is proper? 1 Corinthians 6.18. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Flee. Is that not what Joseph did with Potiphar's wife? And when I preached from that however many years ago, I said, be like Joseph. <laughs> be like Joseph and run. Flee. Do anything even to your own earthly detriment, but don't take the lighter fluid. Run. We're after our own preservation of our speech and behavior. I've read from Proverbs 5.8 a moment ago. Listen to what the father figure says will happen to the son at the end of his life. The father says, you will say, how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. That's what this leads to. That's what the continual breaking of the seventh commandment leads to. It, it brings utter ruin. But we're called to chastity, to modesty, to decency, to innocence in speech and behavior. That's what the seventh commandment is positively after in our lives. The larger catechism says that we should be watchful over our eyes and all our senses, that we should be temperate and keeping of chaste company. Now, why would we want to keep of chaste company? 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, bad company ruins good morals. Which reminds me of my junior high English teacher, Mr. Rents, and what Mr. Rents wrote in my yearbook. He said, be careful who you hang out with. This year, you have changed. It wasn't a good change. It took a lot of years for the Lord to reverse it. And that doesn't just apply for those who are in junior high. It applies to the music that we listen to. Bad company ruins good morals. It applies to the movies that we watch, the television shows that we enjoy, the things that we read. And, and you may say, well, I'm mature enough to do that. I have no doubt that you're mature enough to do that. But as I like to say, it's catechizing you along the way. It's trying to form you. It's trying to shape you. It's not neutral. Your favorite television show is not neutral. Hollywood knows it. CBS knows it. Disney knows it. The question is, do we know it? And are we doing what it takes to flee when we should flee? We are called to a purity of life, to watchfulness of the eyes, to watchfulness of the senses, and to be tempered. We've got to move on to our fourth point. 
preservation of others, chastity, and ability to keep the seventh commandment. You should know that I've skipped a few words in Westminster Shorter Catechism 71 up to this point. Let me stop skipping. The answer to how do we break it or what is required, the seventh commandment requireth the preservation of our own and our neighbor's chastity in heart, speech, and behavior. We have an obligation as Christian people to do what we can to preserve other people so far as it depends on us from breaking the seventh commandment. That means that we must be diligent to use our words and our lives to honor the Lord, to honor our neighbor, and to honor the good design for passions that He has created for us, and nothing else. But we live in a culture that has been on a decades-long downward spiral regarding this requirement to preserve and protect other people. The normalization of immodesty, the normalization of passions being fulfilled outside of the covenant of marriage of all kinds, the normalization and acceptance of filth like pornography has left many victims in its wake outside the church and inside the church. And we shouldn't be surprised that it's happening outside the church. That's just what depraved people do. The prince of the power of the air has had his way for a long time. But I contend that we should be surprised that these kinds of things have such a powerful stronghold on the hearts and minds of people of God. Our culture couldn't care less about their neighbors, but we should. So how can we preserve our neighbors so that we don't cause them to commit uh, and to break the seventh commandment? Well, I want to have a theological emphasis here. First thing is we must realize that the battle of temptation never, ever ceases. Never. Everyone's heart is wicked and bent towards evil and especially bent towards evil regarding what's at stake in the seventh commandment. The good gift of passion, the good gift of desire that God gave Adam and Eve within the covenant of marriage is distorted in more ways than we could possibly count. The battle never ceases. So we should be mindful of our own words, mindful of our own attitudes and behaviors around others in the church and outside of the church. Second, we must realize that the enemy will not relent. He knows what sells. He's the best marketer there ever was. We must let the Word of God tell us how it is that we should dress, how it is that we should speak, how it is that we should carry ourselves. And the Word tells us those things. He tells us, God tells us that we should do those things with dignity with chastity, with carefulness, and with mindfulness of others every time we get up in the morning. And so you might say at this point, well, that person's sin is their own. What's that got to do with me? And sometimes nothing. Sometimes there's nothing you can do. Many times there's nothing you can do. But the question is, are you mindful of the ways that you might cause others to stumble? Does it even cross your mind? 
Listen to these words from Paul in 1 Thessalonians 4. I'll start, and then if you want to turn there, you can catch up to the place I really want to say. 1 Thessalonians 4 says this, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you're doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. And then there's several vats. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of the lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. And here's what I really want to get to, verse 6. That no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Don't just abstain for yourself. Abstain for your neighbor. Don't give in to passions. Help others not give in to passions. And if we disregard this, we disregard God. Now, what happens, what should we do when we have failed to keep the seventh command? And at this point, you should say, okay, well, that's me. What should we do when we're brokenhearted? What should we do if we're failing in a season of failure now? And what should we do when the enemy comes raging tomorrow? Well, those who've lost a battle, or two, or 20, or a thousand and two, doesn't matter. And if you are brokenhearted, if you are truly brokenhearted and penitent, hear these words from the psalmist in 86. Psalm 86 says, be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all the day. Gladden the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. In the day of my trouble, I call upon you, for you answer me. If you're stuck, pray Psalm 86, 3 through 7. Fight your sin. Repent, believe the gospel again, and then wash and rinse and repeat. If you are in Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation for you. Live the good life of walking with the Lord in obedience again today. And for those of you who may be failing now in a myriad of ways, Hear these words from Colossians and from Romans. First from Colossians chapter 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are below. For you have died, 
And your life is hidden with Christ and God. And when, you, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Put it to death. Set your minds on things that are above. You've died to your sinful self. You are free. Death no longer has dominion over Christ, and that means it no longer has dominion over you. In Romans 6, to those who are in chains or seem like they're in chains. Romans 6, 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under what? Grace. And now to those who will face temptation very soon. Hear Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is God's faithfulness. Last one, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12 and 13. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. None of us ought to get too comfortable. Verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but the temptation, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Those of us who are in Christ have everything we need to fight the battle that comes. Therefore, Take a close look at your heart. Take a close look at your life. Take a close look at the way that you live out the seventh commandment to preserve the lives of others. But most of all, take a look at that perfect union that we have now that will be realized when Christ comes again. May we have the resolve to live lives that reflect what we're about to sing. Take this world, but give me Jesus. Oh, the heights and depths of mercy. Oh, the length and breadth of love. Oh, the fullness of redemption. Pledge of endless life above. Take this world and all its Turkish delights and give me Jesus my God is enough. Let's pray. Lord, we confess that we fall short of keeping this command and all of your commands. Our hearts are still wicked, even though they've been sprinkled clean. So remind us that from Jesus' fullness, we have received grace upon grace as his people. 
Therefore, standing on him as our rock, give us strength to wage war against our remaining corruption. Give us victory. Until with clearer, brighter vision, face to face, our Lord we see. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.